I can still remember first spotting a curious archway into the English market, in the middle of Cork. For years, I hadn't even stepped inside. Last summer, my curiosity began to draw me towards it. You can write all you like about a market, you can read all you like about a market, you can hear all you like about a market, but until you come into a market and soak up the atmosphere and be relaxed and just get the smells, get the aromas, get the bustle, get the banter, join in the crack, see the wonderful foods, see the wonderful colours, until you do that, you just don't get the feeling of what a market is about. And so for a year now, I've been exploring this ancient trading place. Dermot Odriskiol, he became my guide, helping me navigate the English market's storied history, stretching back more than two centuries. Yeah, it's hidden away. It's a sort of a hidden gem uh, because the way it lies between Princess Street and Grand Parade, right in the heart of the city. But walking along the street, unless you were aware, you wouldn't really know it was in there. And in a way, I suppose, that's what enabled the market to survive through the lean years of the 30s, 40s, 50s, 60s. Because I think very often, uh, you know, the corporation or the movers and shakers weren't really aware of its existence and I suppose tolerated it more than supported it or maintained it uh, until more recent decades. So I think the fact that it was hidden is also what saved it. And it's unique in that it's a fully enclosed market. You'll often have open markets in other towns and cities. It's enclosed fully. It functions for six days a week, which is also unusual. Uh, but it's like a village in itself. It's a town or village within the city of Cork. Uh, it's got its population, its residents, the traders, uh, the customers pass through as well. There are meeting places, there are sort of junctions. So it, it functions very much like a town. It's a venue for events. I mean, films have been shown here. There have been uh, theatre events on here, art exhibitions, recitals, choirs, singing. The, the more we sort of become aware of the market, the more we're seeing further potential for it. Just consider, Cork was a much smaller city back in 1788 when the English market was built, with a population of about 60,000 people. It was then that the Protestant ruling class spotted an opportunity to build a centrepiece market. But I was amazed to find that the Catholic working class couldn't afford its fare. One cod fish was half a week's wages for an unskilled worker. Even though the wealthy Catholics took over the English market's patronage in the mid-1800s, it still didn't mean the man in the street got any help during famine times. Incredibly, a special constabulary unit kept the starving masses at bay and well outside its gates. Happily today, it's free passage for everyone. Entering the English market from the Prince's Street Gate, the Farmgate Café catches your eye. Sitting above the 40 or so traders, with a barrel vault ceiling allowing light for the world to spill in. Where Kay Hart, the market's queen you could say, holds forth. 
and as we look in you can see the people sitting around uh, the railings there and if you like it's where you can kind of look up the skirts of the bourgeoisie of Cork you know as you walk through the market <laughs> while they sift their, their coffees above I knew there was some reason I knew there was some reason for its position and while we're talking about the farm gate a very interesting story that Kay Hart told me like she does her best in her, in her, in her restaurant and cafe to use local produce the best of what's grown in Cork or in the southern region and in as far as possible I think she sources her, her food within the market itself and tripe and drasheen were very traditional um, Cork dishes uh, but like I suppose as we modernise and so on a lot of people forgot about these old traditional foods and uh, there's still one stall O'Reilly's that specialises in tripe and drasheen and Kay Hart wanted to maintain this tradition of tripe and drasheen in the city so she occasionally puts it on the menu that would be tripe cooked in milk and onions and sliced drasheen put into it then and she noticed that there were sort of slightly older middle-aged men or elderly men coming in now and again for a feed of tripe and drasheen and bread and butter because they said their, you know, their wives weren't willing to cook it for them at home. Uh, you know, they couldn't stand handling it or the smell or whatever. And it struck me that it was sort of like an element of food prostitution, you know, older men coming to town for something that their wives weren't willing to give them at home, you know. But, that was uh, quite French. It was a culinary affair. I, oh, yeah, I suppose so, yeah. I, you know, but I could think of better things to fall in love with. No offence now to tripe and drasheen, of course. My first real visit to the market opened my eyes to its sheer depth and array of foods and with images of tripe and drasheen in my head, our animal intestines to you and I. I left only to return in the new year. Of course, there was only one place I could start again and that was with Kay Hart and a plate of food. See, that, there you are, Hegarty's cheese from White Church outside Cork. That's a chutney that's made for me down in Ballyvorney. The flour from that bread comes from Inchigile, and the bread is made by our chef here in the farm gate. Bandon butter. It's all in, no seriously, Barry's tea. Everything is local. So that small little meal you have in front of you is, is entirely is cork. Turn around and look at the board. I can talk you through the board. Everything on the board is cork. Pork and apple sausage is made by Ono Manny, a young butcher downstairs. Cheese and onion tart, Desmond cheese, Castle Blue and Hegarty cheese go into that. Murphy's corned beef, that's Paul Murphy downstairs. The butcher downstairs has been corning beef the way his father and his grandfather corned it. And that same corned beef would have been, it's, the recipe for that is 220 years old here as part of the market. You see, the corned beef would have been salted and sent off to right. feed the Napoleonic troops. You know, it was the English market, remember? Yes. So we would have been feeding the colonies, essentially, the, the, the troops. And then the rose cod comes, the cod comes from Pat O'Connell. You come in here to the market and you will be served by a market trader who knows precisely what he's selling you. He'll even teach you how to cook it. If you're not happy with it, you can come back again. Or he'll sell you two eggs or three eggs. You don't have to buy a half dozen eggs. Just a whole other way of trading. And to me, it suits Irish people because it's on a small scale. In my mind's eye, I could picture the early 1800s. Most Cork people marvelling at the hinds of game hanging from the rafters. Out of reach and utterly unaffordable. 
Back then, most of us were eating little more than the humble spud. But today, traders like Tom Durkin have turned all that on its head. He's here because he can connect with his customers. You could think of him as your personal menu consultant. Oh yeah, like I'd have regulars in here every week. And I could nearly tell you what they want as they approach the counter. Because they're setting their ways, like I have one man comes in, and he gets a lump of roast beef for Saturday night, a leg of lamb for Sunday, and T-bone steaks for Monday, and he appears again on Tuesday. If I had a hundred of those customers, I'd be flying, but he is just fantastic. And he comes in, and I know exactly what he wants. I have another man comes in who has four Polish guys working for him who live in the house with him. And he comes in and he says, give me three days dinner for five hungry men. And it's up to me what I give them. Just make sure it's good so he comes back next week. Simple as that. So you get to actually put the menu together for the oh, yeah. five hungry men? Like, uh, I have a trawler order that goes out every week, and it's five men for five days and four breakfasts. They fish one morning for breakfast. And it's whatever I give them. And I give them food to know that I get the phone call. Next week, again, when the trawler comes in, Durkin, have me down on the trawler for five hungry men for five days, four breakfasts. What's the clincher in something like that when you're putting it together, when you go, that's the little... No, that's the, that's the thing always, that's going to stitch it. Like, they had a... They had a they two Muslims on the boat at the moment, so there's no pork, right? No, they didn't even think of that. He says, look, we have two small fellas here, they're Muslim, I don't know what the hell they eat. I said, well, pork is... Oh, Jesus, I didn't think of that, he said. If it's a Polish guy working on a boat, you throw in a couple of Polish sausages, which is a novelty for him. The rest of the crew probably won't eat them. But it's, you just, that's the personal touch that makes him keep coming back to me. And he'd come back and say, right, we're going to be out for 10 days. We want something that'll last for 10 days. So I give them some corned beef and spice beef because it's sitting on ice just to make sure they don't have freezers on the boats. Sitting on ice is not frozen. So you tell them, look, you use your pork chops day one, you use your lamb chops day two, you use your steak day three, use your corned beef day four, your bacon day five, your spice beef day six. So the stuff lasts. It's just a bit of common sense. So you're celebrity putting, chef eat your heart out, like. <laughs> yeah, but it's not quite that, but it, there's a bit of common sense involved, you know? And if you know what you're doing, it's very simple to do. Up until Irish independence in the 1920s, the English market was the domain of Cork's bourgeoisie. Surviving the British burning of the city, the market became increasingly working class as Cork fell into depression, losing its Victorian trappings of wealth. But what of that name, the English market, embedded in the heart of the rebel city? The term English market didn't gain currency till about the 1850s or thereabouts. Uh, and the reason for that is that the corporation that built the English market regarded its, itself as an English, unionist, conservative, Protestant corporation, which is what it was. They built the market then in 1788 as a flagship market. This was like the place to shop in the city. But it went out of use then in the 1920s. People didn't call it the English market because, you know, we had got our freedom, we were an Irish city, this was Rebel Cork. And I don't think people, people in Cork, even when I was growing up through the 60s, 70s, um, still growing, I suppose, in ways, um, like we never called it the English market. It was just known as the market and nothing else. And you'll even see some of the traders' stalls inside where they have their, their nameplate on the back, you'll see so-and-so the market. Um, usually it's the newer stalls uh, use the term English market, uh, but like true Cork people, you know, with the, the River Lee and stuff flowing in them through their veins, they call it the market still. 
Would there be a little kind of, would it stick in the craw to say the English Not market? Not at all. No, 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 no. We can call it the English market when it suits us, you know. <laughs> when we're having our, uh, you know, our, our posh coffee or buying olives, I suppose. We're in the English market. And then when we're buying a bit of, uh, you know, a bit of uh, a few chops or a couple of mackerel, I suppose we get those in the market then. As easily as the English market has worn its name, it has rolled with the times to keep going. The fires in the 1980s nearly finished it. But the traders in the city rallied to save their market. Maybe that was the force that had drawn me in. The momentum that has coached people through the generations to anchor in the market. I suppose, you see, I suppose in Cork, being from the second city, you know, we always have a slight inferiority complex. And whenever we're I suppose, threatened or talked down to, we gather together and we sort of put up a barricade and we defend ourselves. So I suppose so it is with the market as well. In the 1980s, uh, when there was a threat maybe that it might disappear, might be developed or in some other way, straight away everybody gathers together and uh, forms a defence and says, no way, like death before dishonour. So um, yeah, it's in the nature of Cork people, I think, to be a bit on the defensive uh, especially maybe when people from Dublin or from authority or outsiders come in with a suggestion, you know, what's wrong with it? It's fine for us, you like, we like it the way it is, leave us alone, you know. And I think that's a very valid point of view. I mean, you know, if I reared my children the way I choose, if somebody comes along and says, I don't like the way you dress your children, well, I'd very much take offence. And it's the same with Cork people and the market. The Rose family, once meat traders, now coffee merchants, adapted their business just to stay. At the helm, Mary Rose Daly buzzes as she goes about her day. I suppose I'm coming about 45, roughly 45, 50 years wouldn't be far off of it. Starting off cutting grease paper, cutting brown paper, everything was wrapped at that time. When I finished school, I went to work in an office and I suppose I soon realised office wasn't the place and things changed and I'm here and that's why I'm here. But I suppose... The market began to change then 15 or so years ago. 15, 20 years ago. The whole surrounds of the market changed. We had about 35 butchers at that time, poultry people on the Princess Street side, and a lot of fish stalls. And I suppose if we have nine or 10 butchers at this stage, as I'm speaking to you today, everything else that came in was food related. And so there changed the ethos of people dining and how they saw the market, which it was always very busy, but it was busy with people shopping every day for food when I was younger. There was no fridges, of course. Maybe if you were lucky, you had a safe in the back of, as we used to call it, a netted safe outside your back wall, and you kept your things out there cool. Everybody came to town and shopped every day. The place would be teeming. Every morning, women with shopping bags were shopping. Men didn't really come. That wasn't their life at all now. They were working. So the woman was out and she had these children with her and however many she had and she could have a lot of them. It was full of buzz in the morning. Sounds, clattering, banging. So on the 28th of March, 10 years ago, yeah, 10 years ago, I changed this over a period of a few months but opened for coffee. And listen to me, the people of Cork were just about to be educated on good coffee and real coffee and not instant coffee, not putting your spoon into the cup. I have everybody in Cork City really coming for coffee here, or tea. 
to the market. We sell quite a bit of tea as well, but coffee or tea, and may I add, it's always got to be Barry's tea when you're in Cork. Nothing else. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. And there's a lady alongside of you, and her father was a famous Cork player, Mr. McCarthy, Mr. Jerry McCarthy. I'd say when there's a match due or anything like that, Kira. Tickets, base, banter, everything that goes with it, you know? Yeah, you, so she's one of your number one customers? Oh, she's a great customer. Great aunt father. Why do you come in? I don't know. I don't know, really. I just... They're very nice people working here now in the cafe. I always come here for a quick cup of tea. Um, I don't know. It's just a nice buzz around the place. So you feel comfortable? You feel at home? Yeah, yeah. Hey, you wouldn't go here. You do all your shopping yeah. here. Are, are you being honest with me? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you actually do your weekly shopping. You do your supper shopping here. Yeah, like every day I get bits every day. Like I'm going to leave you in peace to actually have your cup of berries because you're getting absolutely no respite here at all, are you? She's great. I tell you about her. She's a really healthy girl. No meat, all fish. So look at the colour in those cheeks. <laughs> look at the colour in those cheeks. She cycles in every day. You haven't denied it, dear. Health, fitness, and sport. She's the new young person of every year. Role model. Role model. You're being big up, big time. <laughs> I'm a big head. <laughs> That's why I come here. <laughs> Where the Rose Dailies are entwined in the English market's legacy of traditional fare, traders like Frank Hederman are the relative newcomers on the block. The ones who've brought an exotic touch to the market's menu. For once it was meat, fish and veg, the English market now boasts fresh pasta, chocolate, wine, artisan cheeses and every olive variety under the sun, alongside ostrich and kangaroo steak. Having supplied the salmon for the Queen of England's 80th birthday, Frank Hederman was able to confirm the news to me of a certain royal visit when I called by in late spring. The British monarch was about to follow in my footsteps. <laughs> tell me a little bit about you and tell me about your stall. This is the only traditional smokehouse in Ireland and we're the only people who's hanging the fish to smoke it rather than lay it down on racks in, in a commercial kiln, smoking kiln. The image you see there is of... Basically, it tells the full story of who we are and how we are. And you can see in the background there's salmon are hanging on tenter hooks, and that's where the expression comes from, to be on tenter hooks. So the salmon are hanging there, and we're finding business very brisk, very brisk indeed. For many people, they can pass through the city and completely miss it because it's it's nestled in amongst buildings. You have seven portals in. Yeah. If somebody taps you on the shoulder and tells you that there's a, a gem of a labyrinth in there, in you go and enjoy. If not, you could miss it completely. It's like, it's like a casbah, I suppose, you know. It's, uh, it, the, the joy is when you come in. And I think why people, A, you have people who are, let's come under the banner of foodies or people who are interested in food, they tend to find their way here because now it's marketed a lot, it's used as an attraction for the city and the corporation and their wisdom do that. Um, I think, you know, historically Cork always had a very, very significant food trade. You had the butter, you had the beef, uh, you had cheese. Cork was victling the um, British Army, the British Navy, for many, many, many years. So you have this tradition that is part of the fabric of the town. Mary Rose Daly has it nailed. Whatever's going on in town, she knows about it, and they're buying coffee while they're, while they're telling her the stories of what's going on in the town. I think Cork, this, it's, it's a modern reflection of the city. The Queen coming? Queen coming, very important. 
uh, we were very lucky that we did um, we did the food for the Queen's birthday. For this, we did the smoked salmon for the Queen's 80th birthday in London, and we do a certain amount of salmon with HRH, and uh, it's magnificent that the Queen is visiting Cork and coming into to the into the English market because it's such a it's a whoever's advising her is an advising her very well indeed that this is such an, a, a, a part of Cork. I think that's, that's, it says so much for the market and the vibrancy of the market. Just then it came home to me. In a matter of weeks, Queen Elizabeth II would be walking through the English market, passing along the aisles I was standing on, moving between the stalls, being met with the smiles of the market's personalities, old and young, and shaking hands with families who've kept the English market going through the centuries. The only welcome she'd miss would be the din of everyday hustle and bustle and banter, the familiar commotion that begins afresh each morning. But that's the privilege of common folk. Yet Pauline Mulcahy and Paul Murphy would be there, two of the longest standing traders, to remind Her Majesty how the market has stayed true to its traditions, regardless of trends. When my mother started off here, she used to go to the baking factory with two of us in a pram and she used to bring the meat in underneath the pram. There was no pristine condition vans that time. That's the way her deliveries were done that time. You've been schooled from very early doors then? Oh yeah, yeah, very early. We were all brought in here. And my daughter comes in, she's nine now, and she, my mother introduced her to it at two weeks old. Two, come on. Yeah, two weeks old. <laughs> Your mom, she must have been one of the first women trading in the market. Oh, I'd say she was, yeah. She would have been one of the very first, yeah. Yeah, and they would have uh, the Bresnans over then. They had women trading there and Mulcahy's in the chicken end. They had a woman trading there. But my mother would have been one of the oldest. Like, as I say, she died two years ago at 86. Yeah, well, we sell everything from the pig, from his head to his tail. We sell the crew bean, which is the pig's foot. We sell the tail. We sell the bodice, which are the ribs. We sell a real traditional cock dish, skirts and kidneys, which is a white stew. And uh, we sell bacon and ham, and we sell ham hocks, and we sell fresh spare ribs, and we sell pig's head. Your stall is, uh, I suppose, maybe it's a reminder of times past, because does anybody else sell the same array as you? No, no. People might sell bits and pieces now, ribs and maybe a few tails, but I specialise in the pig's meat. So there's nobody going to top you in Cork? Oh, no. No, no. You say that so proudly. How about in Munster? No, I don't think so, because everyone is sent into Kathleen Noonan's stock because my mother fed Cork. I mean, I remember making small changes, which were dramatic at the time, insofar as that a big brown wooden counter with an iron rusty wheels. I painted the counter white <laughs> and, uh, and sanded and painted the wheels black and the whole market came around to see it. <laughs> this you was know? innovation at that time? Absolutely, yeah. This, this was the new go-ahead and I could see that now. I remember when there was no serve-over fridge cabinets here. None at all in the market. And in fact, the one guy that, that, that started coming in trying to sell them, I'm talking about near on 50 years ago, trying to get in the first fridge, fridge cabinet into the market... The opinion at the time was you'd never sell meat out of them. There's nobody buy meat out of them things. Meat behind glass that they couldn't handle or view properly. He was laughed out of it. He's now one of my good friends. 
What do you make of such a visit, or did you ever think that you'd see that day? I really didn't think that I would ever see it in my lifetime now. I think that uh, we'll get a great backlash from it. I, I really truthfully believe, maybe I'm the eternal optimist, that they'll absolutely flock in here for the remainder of the year. But if I get any chance at all, I wish her luck with Garton House in the Derby. His favourite. And it's the one classic that she does elude at her. And she, her horse racing, is her first love, without a doubt. Her second love. <laughs> <laughs> I had to catch the English market first thing in the morning and see it come alive. On a final visit before the market's biggest day, I met butcher Ken Barrett, the quintessential corkman, chippy, bristly and witty to the last. It was just gone seven o'clock and he was unpacking meat and breaking sweat while the rest of the city snoozed. You get up every morning as happy as that no smiling. I do. Why? Every single morning. I don't know. It's just uh, it's good to be alive, isn't it? Huh? <laughs> well, I suppose you'd rush out all about it if you were dead, would you? It's great to be alive. It's great to be alive. First thing I saw this morning and I got up was the wife, and she's a fantastic woman. Even she growls in her sleep. <laughs> I can tell you, it's true. Growling this morning at five o'clock. My good man, it was unbelievable. I'd say, don't play that on the radio, I'd be, I'd be divorced. And I'm worried about being divorced, I'm worried about the money if I cost me. Tell me this. Tell you why. What's the usual rising time for you? For why? To come in here? Come it's in here? The English morning. Yeah, about um, early in the week, about half seven. Mm -hmm. Weekends then around um, half six. Okay. Yeah. So you're well used to it? Getting up? Yeah. My good man, I hardly sleep at all. I'd be afraid of my life that I'd miss something. I'm a nosy shag of me. I'd be afraid of my life I'd miss something in here if I wasn't in the early in the morning. What's different about being in the market is that you're not behind a pane of glass or a front door. It's open. Everybody, I can speak to the man four stalls up if I want to. A few of his neighbours might be happy that I'd be shouting up to him, but that's the way it is. So there's a different culture there. Oh, it's, it's a totally different than working in a shop. Working in a shop, you're in there and you're behind it, you're closed in, you have the customers coming in, that's it. But this market is so open and so so much banter with the customers and different type of person. Mostly Northsiders come in here. Different people. They're a salt of the earth. The Northsiders, you should only work with them, be with them. They're a salt of the earth. What about the Southsiders? Southsiders... They're very tight. They like to keep the money in the pocket. They like fashion. They don't like to eat a lot. Do you have the essence of Cork people in here? Is this the real Cork person that comes into the You're the real Cork If you're getting the, the Northsiders, the Norris, as we call them, locally, um, you're getting the real people of Cork. They were the backbone of, of Cork Market Street one time. A lot of people from the north side. And they're the same today. They're great people. But has, has that passed on from generation to generation? Do you have people who are in their 20s shopping in here for their weekly shop? Or is it really, is there an, 
an older shopper that you're kind no. of worried about the next generation not picking up the baton? No, we never worried. It has survived 120 years. It'll be here long after you and me are gone. Cork wouldn't be anything without the market. It's known worldwide. We're going to have the Queen in here. She's coming home to see her market. So you feel it's a bit of a homecoming? It's a homecoming for the lady, for God's sake. She spent, they spent the money developing it originally, so she's coming back to see what they spent it on. So is that what you're going to say to her? Thank you very much for the market. Hey, do, you think, no, do you think I'd be allowed to speak to the Queen? I'd have to practice a bit of genuflecting, is it? Yes, Mum? No, Mum? Are you looking forward to this? Of course we're looking forward to it. So can I ask you, will you be wearing a tie on the, on the day of the I'll visit? I'll be wearing what I wear every day. Simple as that. She might be mom, but I'm Ken. Simple as that with me. If she doesn't like it, she needn't look. <laughs> Simple as that. And uh, the Queen comes to visit. Uh, sure, after that, if, if, if you had a, a wish list of visitors, who'd you put on it? Um, I suppose my favourite person would be Mariah Carey. Right. I would like her to visit in her normal attire, which is a very short miniskirt and a low top. <laughs> that would be my favourite visitor. Leaving Ken in the virtual arms of Mariah, I move on, meeting John Boiling, a qualified engineer who's cutting meat for a living, just like his twin brother, an architect. I can't believe how quiet the market is at this hour. Well, that is until the traders start ball hopping before the day kicks off. I might be able to talk a bit, but no one talks like this fella. No one talks like this fella. And it wouldn't be us lucky to meet the Queen. The Queen was trying to meet this fella. Is that, is that what oh, happened? Mr. Celebrity, Mr. Market here. Like. Would you like to introduce him then? Oh, God. Uh, I, I think, you know, it's one of those ringside announcers would need to in introduce this fella. You know, it's... Drum rolls, fireworks, this is Mr. Market himself, Mr. Personality. And look, he's smiling, he knows it's him. He knows it's him, look. Put a name on him. Oh, that's Pat O'Connell. Uh-huh, why is he famous around here? Biggest mouth in the South. In Ireland, <laughs> not just the South, in Ireland. <laughs> uh, so, yeah, you're, you're the mouth of the South, are you? That's what the boys call me, I don't know why. <laughs> I think I'm a very quiet, subdued guy. <laughs> um, I'd be third generation in the fish business. I know if I'm second generation in the market, but my great-grandmother would have had a place outside of here. So. Back those days, we'd buy fish up in the coal quay, um, up in Clayton Loves, or down in Alfred Street. But of course the trouble was, it was dropped off from the coast, and the best of it fell off on the way. So Kathleen decided, well, we better change this around. So she started driving to Castletown there with a car and trailer, which didn't make her very popular with the other traders, I must admit, but customers loved it, obviously. Absolutely. <laughs> Get a cutting edge, eh? The cutting edge, absolutely. She's a brave um, woman. She was, really. She was a fabulous woman. Bit of a legend, actually. I had said to Kathleen O'Connor when she started with a 12-foot stall there on a cold, wet, windy morning, dragging fish across from the cold quay. Kathleen, someday the Queen of England might stand at your stall. I said, yeah, son, and, you know, pigs will fly. <laughs> I should have probably said the pigs will fly sooner. 
I began to appreciate how the English market was a blend of old and new families, all playing their part to keep the market relevant and fresh. Where some generations could dovetail on the spot, others like Sheila Fitzpatrick's had a little further to travel, but knitted together all the same. My great-great-grandmother left Ireland with five children and she was only, only spoke Irish en route to America and they were actually put out at Liverpool because her husband was sick and, and couldn't make the journey to, Liverpool, to, to America and she started a market stall in Liverpool and I have done the reverse. I came from England, I only spoke English and now my children speak Irish but I have five children too and I brought five children back here to Ireland and they speak Irish now. I don't unfortunately and they laugh at me when I have a go at it. I'm definitely a blow-in. I've only been here 15 years so 15 years is nothing in, in the market's terms. So I'm part of the new wave. About 15, between 15 and 20 years ago there was literally a new wave of traders who were really regarded with suspicion when they first came in because this was a very traditional market. And yet I feel after the first few years of, of bedding down here, it's been recognized by the older traders that it was a very good thing for the market. And I think what's unique about this market is the blend of old and new. When we opened, I remember one elderly lady saying to me, why would you be wanting to sell bread with tomatoes in it? You know, really strange. And yet now this is part of people's regular shopping experience. You know, we, we sell about 80 different types of bread. Just before leaving that evening, Ken Barrett stopped me for a quick word. How are you? Not too bad. How are you keeping? Uh, fantastic. Green's on the way to see you tomorrow? Fantastic. Absolutely wonderful. The atmosphere, the thrill, the thought of it is wonderful. Have you got your gear ready? Are you going to be dapper oh, tomorrow? I'm going to be dolled up. I have the tuxedo, all the new black shoes, the lot. And my top hat as well. It'll be absolutely fantastic. The wife will be asleep and I'll be still up. <laughs> Heading for town, looking for the Queen. Have you been keeping an eye on her on the television? I haven't. She's been wonderful, absolutely. For her age, she has wonderful energy. She's brilliant. And he's not a bad old character, I'd say. Not as dour as they say he is, I'd say. Bit of a character, I'd say, at the back of it. He kind of held himself back there in uh, the Guinness storehouse, like where they were looking at a pint of Guinness. I'd say if she wasn't there, he'd have downed it fairly lively. She's the boss in here because she gave him the nudge, get away from it, and he backed off. Like any good man would when the wife is giving out, he'll back off. How are people, as they're passing through in regular shoppers, what are they thinking about tomorrow's visit, or what do they make of all this kind of brouhaha? What are they thinking about it? Most people, I'd say 90% of the people are delighted that it has gone so well so far, and they're hoping that it will be wonderful in Cork tomorrow. But sure, the Cork people are wonderful. We're the most pleasant, most polite, most friendly people in Ireland. The Queen is on her way. She's driving up Washington Street. The waves are going like crazy. Is this one, is it? It's her, yes. There you go. <laughs> a fleeting moment in history, a fleeting moment in history for Cork. It's, it's 
just there's a certain pride, you know, and there is, uh, and the city looking so well and people turning out in such numbers. You're like a woman who's been overwhelmed by the I sight am, of a ghost. I am, I am really. I actually had a tear in my eye. I did really know. I can't believe it. So the English market has officially been visited by the Queen of England. I'd been waiting two months for the Queen to visit, but the English market had been waiting over two centuries. Nothing comes easy in Cork. They wouldn't want it any other way. No surprise so that Ashley O'Neill couldn't fathom why he was the one to welcome Her Majesty into the market. And it was lovely to shake her hand and meet her and wish her well and welcome her into the English market. Where does she stand here? I want to stand up. Queen Mum was on the phone. She said she hopes her prices don't go up. Isn't that marvellous goodwill, really, isn't it? Absolutely. It's phenomenal stuff. Have you ever seen the market as full as it is now? No, and I certainly I've seen the market very busy. I've seen it through Christmas periods, and I've seen it very busy. But I've never experienced quite an atmosphere like this. It's something that uh, I haven't had the pleasure of experiencing before. And I can tell you, I'm only going to wallow in it, and I'm going to enjoy it. I've seen faces in here tonight, which I have never seen in before, and they're cockheads, you know, and they're all coming. People are coming. One grumpy individual said to me in a most disgruntled way that his wife dragged him in here tonight after watching it on television so they obviously haven't been in for a while and he's in now you know and that's that's wonderful that's what that it, people people i think forgot about the english market <laughs> well she was a great occasion and we were absolutely ready for the queen to come she was thrilled as evidence in the time she spent in the market really interested in the food and absolutely thrilled at how she addressed her husband here to look at cheese so it was just so nice and so nice and she passed i imagine just uh, within feet of you three feet roughly if not less she is a, a minute little leprechaun today with her lovely green outfit but she's she's a lovely little woman a lovely little i wish she was my grand would it be utterly ironic that the queen of england visiting the english market could inspire Cork people to shop there more. <laughs> it would, I suppose, yeah. It would, but uh, that, that possibly will be the case. Yes, I would imagine so. You know, I'm going to leave you in on a little secret. I said, almost to the day, I said, 30 years ago I got married, and I said, that's the only time I remember being as nervous as I was this morning. <laughs> Today was probably a very good day to be a Corkman. Very, very proud of our market. Very proud of our city. I now get the English market, what it's all about. I've been inside. I can tell you I'm always going back. This is Cork City's hidden village, a community that wears its heart on its sleeve. Its no-nonsense welcome and warmth wowed the Queen of England, just as it will you. As for the future, well, with typical Cork confidence and irreverence, the traders tell me it's rock solid, boy. Rock solid. <laughs> <laughs>